Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Now here's Father Ted. The first part of our gospel today relates one of the most confusing parables of our Lord, typically called the parable of the dishonest steward. And in the ancient world, like nowadays, it's common for the very rich and wealthy to hire somebody like a manager to control and look after their finances. This ancient manager was found to have been cheating his master, somehow swindling him, and he was caught in it, so he was gonna get fired. But he didn't know how to make a living any other way, so he's got a plan. He's going to call in his master's debtors, and he's going to cook the books. He's going to change the records so that his master's debtors don't have to pay everything back to the master that they borrowed from him. So he's taking money from the master. He's depriving the master of what what he's owed. And he's making friends with these debtors so that when he gets fired, he can go and be sheltered in their place. It's a win-win for the steward and the debtors, and the master is getting robbed. Now, normally when this happens in parables, when you've got this an individual who is doing evil and he's not repentant about it, he gets punished. That tends to be how things work. He's bound hand and foot and tossed into the darkness where there's wailing and grinding of teeth, for example. Or he will be last in the kingdom of heaven. Or he's told to depart from God into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's normally what happens. But here, the dishonest steward is held up as an example, somebody to imitate. We read at the end, the master commended that dishonest steward for acting prudently. And then Jesus continues by commenting on it and saying, the children of this generation are more prudent in dealing with their own than are the children of light. Now, the apparent praise of trickery and deceit is what makes this parable so hard to understand. A prominent biblical commentary says that the parable of the dishonest manager has always been puzzling. So much so that St. Augustine said, I can't believe that this parable came from the lips of our Lord. And that same saint asks rhetorically, why? Why did our master, why did our Lord put this parable before us? He surely did not approve of that cheat of a servant who stole from his master and did not make up for it from his own pocket. So it's obviously impossible that our Lord is telling us to violate the commandments and rob from our neighbor. So what's the point of the parable? In a word, Jesus is telling us to have the same foresight as that dishonest manager. The master's approval bears on the prudence of the manager who realized how best to use whatever he had at his disposal to provide for future security. And that's why the dishonest manager is a model for us. Not because of his dishonesty, but because of his foresight. He saw a life and death situation coming. A crisis was imminent. And so he took steps to avert it. He took steps so that 
he would not be swept away, if you will. And that's what we are faced with as well. The day of our death, of course, is going to be the ultimate crisis. It's the day we're called to render an account. And so the Lord is telling us, have some foresight. Look forward to that moment and plan for it. Prepare for it. Don't be caught unaware. And the same conclusion is reached by St. Augustine. He said, the steward is not recommended because he cheated, but because he exercised foresight for the future. And he goes on. When even a cheat is, is praised for ingenuity, Christians who make no provision should blush. He was insuring himself for a life that would end. Would you not insure yourself for eternal life? It's similar to the lesson of our Lord when he said, be as shrewd as serpents, as clever as serpents, some translations put it. We want to be clever, shrewd, prudent like serpents. But we don't want to imitate the other qualities of serpents. In the same way with the manager. Imitate his foresight, not his dishonesty. Now many of us are good at doing that when it comes to worldly things. You know, we have foresight. We're always planning. When it comes, I joined a congregation that was founded in Argentina. And so part of the culture down there is kind of a spontaneity, which makes them very adept at thinking on their feet and you know, not unnecessarily delaying, but it also isn't one which puts a lot of emphasis upon planning. But in our culture, there is a much more emphasis on that. You know, businesses have years or three or five year plans set out. And in our personal lives, we've probably done this. If we own a business, we're always trying to think how to get ahead, how to make, you know, more profits. If we see something's not working, we cut it out of the business. Or if we're a student and we want to get into a good college, we have some foresight. We make sure we do good on our grades. We make sure we do participate in extracurricular activities. We study for the SATs. We have foresight. Athletes who want to one day compete professionally or at the Olympic level even, it's a lot of planning, a lot of foresight, a lot of emphasis goes into getting ready for that occasion. And that's what we want to do when it comes to our holiness. We ought to be even devious in devising our salvation. Like St. Jose Maria Escrivá said, what zeal people put into earthly affairs, dreaming of honor, striving for riches, bent on sensuality, men and women, rich and poor, old and middle-aged and young and even children, all of them alike. When you and I put the same zeal into the affairs of our souls, we have a living and working faith. That's what makes the saints. We see this in Mother Seton, for example. When her husband died, she had two young boys, Richard and William, and she knew that they needed a strong masculine influence in their lives. But all of her relatives were Protestants, and she wanted her boys to stay true to the faith. And so, she had some foresight. She figured that she would send her boys to a Catholic boarding school. And that's one of the reasons she came here to Emmitsburg, because of Mount St. Mary's. The priests and the religious there would be able to be that masculine influence in the lives of her two young sons. St. John Bosco, he was also very creative when it came to helping other people be saved. He used his magical capacities, like literally, he was a magician 
and he would draw boys to the oratory by putting on magical shows. And he would even bet them sometimes. He'd, have, he'd set wagers with them where if they lost, they'd have to say some prayers or go to church or something like that. There was a baron who was living in Rome and he dared a prominent French atheist to wear the miraculous medal, to wear this medal which Our Lady gave to St. Catherine Labore as depicted on the mosaic back here. He dared him to wear the miraculous medal and to say the memorari. And shortly thereafter, that baron was converted. Or think about the resourcefulness of those four men in the gospel. They broke through the ceiling of a building in order to lower their paralyzed friend in front of Jesus. You know, these are individuals who are thinking, who are being creative, who are being prudent, who are being shrewd as serpents when it comes to spiritual affairs. Now, other attempts are a little, are also creative, but sometimes misguided. You might remember that story about the, uh, the misbehaving boy who really wanted a bike, even though it wasn't Christmas. And so his mom tells him, you haven't been behaving well at all, but you can write a letter to Jesus and see what he tells you. And the boy wrote a couple letters to Jesus, but tore them all up saying, I've been a good boy, I want a bike. It's not really true, so he ripped them all up. And he was getting sort of desperate because he wanted his bike, but he didn't want to lie to Jesus. So he goes out of his house and he wanders about. He comes to a church. He's in there for a while, not sure what to do. And then on his, on his way out, he grabs that statue of Mary. And then he writes another letter to Jesus. If you ever want to see your mother again. It's creative, but we might not want to think in those terms. And I don't think anybody will make off with Mary here. She's a little larger. My dad told me, sometimes in jest, sometimes I think he's serious, that he drew up his will so that all of the money he has would be spent on having masses celebrated for the repose of his soul so that he'd get out of purgatory as soon as possible. When my mom complains about that and she asks, what about me? My dad responds, don't worry. Your son is a priest, so you got a free ticket to heaven already. I'm just trying to catch up. So mothers, you can always get your children to become priests and you're covered. But think about more serious ways to like be smart about your spiritual welfare. How can we use our God-given intellect to get closer to God? Like, Remember, it's not just a question about willing your way into heaven. Sometimes you've got to be smart. Think about that near occasion of sin, those circumstances where you sin. So have some foresight and don't go there. Don't do that. Don't put yourself in that occasion. Or you're going to be traveling on the weekend. Have some foresight. Where are the churches in that area? Maybe you've got a busy day up ahead. Plan when you're going to give time to God. Are you regularly distracted by your phone when you're praying with your phone? Maybe you should not pray with your phone. So think about how you can scheme your way into heaven, if you will. Be smart about your spiritual life, like that dishonest manager. Let's take a moment in silence after this homily to think about what we can start doing to draw closer to God in our lives. May the Blessed Virgin Mary enlighten us and encourage us to use any and all means to prepare for that account we will one day have to render. Right.